All right, today we're back to our study in Ruth, and we're moving into chapter four. Uh, <clears throat> chapter four is a day in court. Up to this time, the primary character in terms of activity in this uh, story has been Ruth the Moabite. And she has taken initiative to care for her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's taken initiative to go out and glean uh, in the fields of Boaz, distant relative. And then she, following Naomi's lead, has taken the initiative for a secret nighttime proposal of marriage. Strange as all that was, we looked at that last week. Well, in chapter 4, Ruth, she basically drops out of the story. We don't hear anything more from her. The person who moves into the main action is Boaz. Remember, at the close of chapter 3, Boaz has agreed to this radical proposal that Ruth gave him, and and he's going to act on it, but to act on it in the way that Ruth has proposed, uh, he needs to do some negotiation with another relative who is also a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. So that's what we're on to today. <clears throat> so Ruth goes home and talks to Naomi. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, "Uh, uh, but you need to read the small print. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And that's going to get repeated. That's the key thing in this whole negotiation. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi 
all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. All right, so the story has a fresh surprise to it, and we need to spend a little time with this. Boaz now takes the initiative in moving the story ahead, and he heads up to the gates of the city. Uh, The gates of the city (coughs) represent certain things that explain why Boaz goes there. What people would do, largely in agrarian society, they would work in the fields by day, but they would go into the city at night, the walled city, for protection. Then, first thing in the morning, they would head out of the gates again. So if you wanted to find somebody, it makes sense you don't necessarily go to their house. You go to the gates of the city because they're going to probably go past. So Boaz does that. Uh, The gates of the ancient cities, I don't know that it was always like this, but frequently the gates of the city function not just, you know, to keep people in or out, but they function like city hall. Uh, The walls are relatively thick, and, and when you go through the gates, you actually enter into a kind of a tunnel. Now, this is the picture of one of the gates of, uh, of old Jerusalem, <clears throat> Bethlehem's a distance away, but it gives you the idea. It's like you're going into a tunnel, and on, on both sides of the tunnel, you've got rooms there. So you can have officials, or you can have meeting places, and, uh, and that's what's going on. So, so Boaz goes to the gates of the city, in part because he wants to meet this other guardian redeemer, but also because he wants a legal transaction, and this, this is the place to get it done. <clears throat> so he, he goes there, and well, sure enough, <clears throat> the, uh, the distant relative shows up. I call him Mr. No Name. Most of your English translations, when, when Boaz speaks, he says, Ah, friend. You know, come over here, we need to talk. But that probably doesn't capture quite what is involved with the way the story is being told. Bethlehem's a small town, right? And Boaz, we found in chapter 3, he immediately knows 
<clears throat> that there is a relative ahead of him in line to be guardian and redeemer. So he knows who this guy is. But in the story, he doesn't call him by name. <clears throat> That's suggestive. And then the Hebrew scholars often make it a point when they, when they have their commentary that in verse 1, <clears throat> the, the term is not something like, uh, oh, friend, you know, come on over here. It's, <clears throat> it's really something like uh, Mr. So-and-so. And, and the thought is <clears throat> that the, the storyteller is putting a little bit of a suggestion here that we need to pick up. Boaz knows his name, but the storyteller doesn't see fit to tell us the name. And in fact, uses wording in Hebrew that, that actually suggests that uh, maybe, maybe we don't, or, or the friend doesn't deserve to have his name known. He's just Mr. So-and-so. Or as I call him, Mr. <clears throat> No-Name. So what's going on there? Well, uh, what we're going to see is that Boaz, following Ruth's lead, is really concerned about this principle of the Old Testament that family heritage be preserved. Right? That's, that's what's repeated twice in the story. Uh, so-and-so, you need to redeem the land. That's the new, that's the new piece. We've, that's, we had no clue to that, right? There's land for sale here. So the land needs to be purchased, and, and then Ruth needs to be married. For what purpose? To preserve the name of the deceased, to preserve the name and the heritage of Elimelech. And the suggestion, I think, by this strange designation, Mr. So-and-so or Mr. No-Name, is that maybe an Israelite who is in the position to give help and maintain the name of the deceased, if he's not willing to do that, maybe we shouldn't recognize his name. Yeah, Mr. Mr. No Name. But we've got this interesting addition. We had, no, we had no clue in the story up to this point that there was a land sale involved. Some of the commentators say that this is the most complex problem in the study of this whole book. <clears throat> because in the Old Testament, we don't have indication that women were able to inherit land. So how does Naomi come about the rights to this land? And that leads some commentators to think that the land was actually 
sold previously by Elimelech before the family moved to Moab. And that what's involved here is the attempt of Naomi to get the land back. Well, we don't have to solve that, I think, because we can't. It's just too complicated a problem. The point is, there is land involved here, and whether it's the outright purchase of the land or what might be the case, the purchase of, of the growing rights, we might say, the productivity of the land, so that it might not be an outright purchase of the land, it might be something like what farmers do in this area when they lease land. Right? They don't get the ownership of it, but they get the productivity. They get the crops that can be raised. It's something like that going on. As I say, we don't have any clear indications in the Old Testament about how this could take place, but the fact that nobody in the story, nobody in Bethlehem, the elders of the people, nobody objects to this, so apparently it was... You know, it was on the up and up, legit, but we've had no indication of it till this time. So, surprise announcement. So, Mr. Noni, you have the right of first refusal. You can purchase this land, or at least the use of the land. Uh, do you want to do it? <clears throat> now, Boaz is going to do some negotiation here. We haven't known about the land, and in fact, it's the first thing he raises with Mr. No Name. The goal, he says, is to maintain the name of the dead, the name of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. And initially, What does Mr. No Name say? Well, he says, yeah, I can do that. Uh, Because until the additional fine print of the contract is made clear to him, he thinks something like this. I can purchase the rights to this land, and I can give the proceeds to Naomi, That helps to care for her. Uh, How does that make Mr. No Name look? Well, it's it's pretty good PR, right? Uh, You get a reputation in town for caring for uh, a widow who is in desperate straits. There's some cost involved, but this widow is old. At least she's older, probably not as old as I am, but, uh, but she's old enough that she's beyond childbearing years. Now that's significant, see, because if there's a child, then the redemption of the field when the inheritance passes to the child is going to move from Mr. No Name to the child. It's going to go to Elimelech. That's the idea of preserving the name of the deceased with the land. But, but initially, Mr. No Name looks at it and he says, well, you know, there's not going to be a son. 
And so when Naomi passes, what happens to the land? It comes to his estate. So this is like a a no-lose proposition. He gets some reputation for being a person of of stature and and mercy and kindness. Uh, There's a little bit of money out to purchase the land and then to care for Naomi, but she's older. It's not, you know, it's not going to be indefinite. And then there's, there's a real windfall at the end. That's a great deal. But then, uh, then there's the small print. The small print is, when you purchase the field, you also agree to marry Ruth. To perpetuate the name. Well, now we've got a potentially very different situation. Well, not just potentially, actually. It's no longer an obvious win because Mr. No Name is going to have to care not only for Naomi, but for Ruth as well. And although Ruth has been barren for, you know, a decade, she's still young enough that something unexpected might happen. She might, in fact, have a son who would not be an heir to Mr. No Name, but would be Elimelech's heir. And the property then would go to that son. So what you've got is more expense over the course of Naomi and Ruth's lifetime to care for them. You've got the initial outlay and then you don't have the return on the investment at the end because that's going to a different family. And at that point, uh, Mr. No Name says, I can't do it. It's going to endanger my estate. Well, this gives us more insight then into Mr. No Name's character. Mr. No Name is guided by self-interest. You say, well, the interest of his estate and his heirs, his current heirs, yeah, but but it's self-interest, isn't it? Self-interest is outweighing other qualities. And this is just a picture I found. I mean, it lists honor and virtue and justice and fairness. Uh, probably shouldn't be too hard on Mr. No Name. I mean, he might have been a good guy, a fellow you'd want to have for a neighbor, honest and all the rest. But in terms of being a guardian redeemer, what does a guardian redeemer do? The guardian redeemer gives help to those who can't help themselves. That's what redemption is. And when a push comes to shove and he has the opportunity to do that, but to do it in a way that's going to be potentially costly to his own interests, he backs out. Self-interest takes over. Now again, there's mysteries in this whole thing, right? Because there, there is no place in the Old Testament where you have a clear connection between 
the work of a guardian redeemer in preserving the land within a family. No obvious connection between that and marrying a widow and raising up heirs. Uh, the closest you have is that leveret arrangement that we looked at in Deuteronomy a few weeks ago, where if, if there's two brothers and one of the brothers dies and has a widow who hasn't had a son, then the other brother is to take that widow as his wife and try to have an heir. That's the closest you have. But, but Mr. No Name is not a brother to Elimelech. And we know that Boaz is even further down the family connections. And so there's no clear obligation of this in the Old Testament, but it seems like those are the ideas that are being connected here. That the, that the guardian redeemer steps in to help someone who cannot help themselves. That's the fundamental idea. In this case, it's purchase of the land, it's also marrying the widow, and in doing that, uh, trying to maintain the family line. <clears throat> well, Mr. No Name drops out of the race, which is what Boaz was hoping for in the beginning, and now he steps in and he says before all the elders, okay, th this is it, I'm going to purchase the land, and I'm going, to take, I'm going to take Ruth as my wife, and you are all witnesses. And they say, yep, we're witnesses. And uh, Mr. No Name takes off his sandal and gives it. I guess today we'd have to get a few lawyers in there and lawyer it up and write out some papers and have an official seal. But those days you just gave him your shoe. <clears throat> so... As we move down chapter 4 then, we see the character and the goodness of Boaz. And we see that, that he's, he's the real redeemer, right? The other guy is in name only, but Boaz is the real deal. <clears throat> now, at this point, uh, we'll, we'll pick up the rest of chapter for next week as we finish this study. But, but let's just kind of uh, finish out here. This whole discussion of a guardian redeemer is one little part of a much bigger theme that runs through the Old Testament. Uh, it's this theme of redeeming, of bringing deliverance, help, salvation to people who cannot do it on their own. That's the basic idea. And, and ultimately, that idea of redemption is not rooted in the goodness of uh, a guy like Boaz, but it's rooted in the goodness of God. I mean, redemption is ultimately something God does in the Old Testament. And the classic example is when Israel is in slavery in Egypt and they have no hope of doing anything for themselves. Even Moses, with all his experience and training, gives it a try, but it doesn't work. And it's God who has to hear the cries of his people and 
move to, to bring about redemption. And there's other redemption themes all woven through, and, and this is just one of them in this little story. Because here again, we have, we have somebody, we have Naomi, who has no ability to solve her deep problems. Right? She's trapped. And, and Ruth doesn't have the ability to do it either. <clears throat> so they need a redeemer, someone who has the power and the desire to step in and give them help and bring them out of the depths of their situation. So as we've seen before then, these Old Testament themes set us up for the coming of Jesus. And we're not surprised then that one of the ways that the New Testament talks about Jesus and what he did is this theme of redemption. That the character of God who brings deliverance to people who can't help themselves is ultimately revealed in Jesus himself. So the Apostle Peter understood this very clearly. He says, you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Messiah. Redemption is always costly. It cost Boaz something to redeem the property, to redeem Naomi, to redeem Ruth. It cost him something. Maybe it cost him as much as it would have cost Mr. No Name. Because it's quite possible that, that Boaz also had a family, so it would hit his inheritance as well. We, we don't know, but that's, that's certainly a possibility. So it's going to cost him to redeem them but the ultimate cost is the cost that Jesus paid for you and me, which was all that he had. It was his life. That's, that's the idea of precious blood. Precious blood is the measure of life that is poured out for us. So here's the theme of, of Ruth that finds fulfillment centuries later in, in one of Ruth's descendants, by the way. <laughs> it's from this family of, of redeemers that the ultimate redeemer will appear. He appears for you and for me because you need a redeemer. I need a redeemer. Your sin, your addictions, your issues, as we sometimes euphemistically call them, they are bigger than you. They're bigger than me. You've got no more chance of digging out from under them than Naomi had of restoring her life. But God is a redeemer God. God of mercy and grace who sent his son that you might be delivered. 
And all those who put their faith and trust in him, they are redeemed. Not with silver or gold, Peter says, but with that precious life that Jesus gave up on Calvary. That's the heart of redemption. So, do you have a redeemer? Are you a person who believes that Jesus died for you? If so, then that price has been paid for you. And God is in the process of liberating you. Delivering you from your greatest fears, from your sins, from your guilt. That's what God does. That's the story of the Bible. Well, next week we're going to wrap up this story and see where it's headed because one of the reasons it's in the Bible to begin with is because it unlocks some further things in the story and we'll take a look at those as we wrap it up. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your words. Thank you for this uh, beautiful story which pictures to us uh, your loving character manifested through people like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz who had learned the secret of giving up self-interest that they might put the interests of others before them. Lord, will you work that kind of hesed love in us? And we thank you for the picture of redemption here that speaks to our own situation and how lost we are in ourselves, how impossible it is for us to begin to climb out of the deep pit that we're in. Thank you for the gift of your Son as we sang about and heard about earlier today that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. We gratefully accept that this morning, Lord, and praise you for your love and for the gift of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.